Well, good morning. If uh, somebody asked me what my favorite time of the year is, I would say uh, we're heading into it. I love, this is my weather, and uh, just starting to get a taste of it. And I think about, uh, many of you know uh, Jovan Hill, who uh, they used to worship here with us. And I think about Jovan will be moving now from uh, just a regular uh, light jacket into a hoodie. And so this would be the time of the year where he would step up his game for uh, his, his uh, cold-natured self. But I love it. I love uh, just being outside and, and enjoying this time. And I really love uh, going on drives. I love two-lane highways, two-lane roadways. And some of you uh, probably grew up on some. I love a leisurely drive. I love roll the windows down and let the fresh air blow in and just feel the, the, the cool air on my skin and my face. I, I, at least I like the option. I used to do a lot of two-lane road driving on, uh, you know, get off of work and, and go run around or on the weekends. I'd spend most of the day Saturday just out driving around. I can't do that anymore because I'm at football games and basketball games, and, well, you, most of you know how that goes. But in a rural state like Arkansas, the only way to get to many of our communities is to take a two-lane road, a two-lane highway. And if I'm not in a hurry, I'd rather go that route because there's some, usually some interesting things to see and, and some different scenery, lots of, of interesting. But there's a margin of error <laughs> when you drive on a two-lane highway that is greatly diminished versus a, uh, an interstate. I mean, when you, if, if you look at the, the, the two-lane here, when you pass each other, at the moment the cars are passing each other, you've got about roughly three to four feet of, of error there before something really bad happens. You know, a little lane drift with the same direction of traffic might invite a horn honk or a lazy wave. You know, that's where they don't use their whole hand. But the slightest lane drift on a two-lane can result in a life-threatening impact. Some serious collision going on here. And the chances are greater at night. I do avoid two lanes, if at all possible, at nighttime. It's harder to see what's coming and make those adjustments. But in Luke chapter 17... Jesus is on his way traveling to Jerusalem, and he's taking the, the two lanes, so to speak. He's on the back roads. And so we find in chapter 17 and verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So it says Jesus is passing between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus is driving on the center line in oncoming traffic. That's what we got going on here. And so Samaria is full of... Samaritans. And Samaritans, you remember we talked about this last week, Samaritans were aliens. They were foreigners. They were outcasts. They were descendants of a, a population, a mixed population of, of Jews and non-Jews occupying the land coming out of, of captivity. And so uh, over 700 years this has kind of been you know, building and assimilating. And, and so the Samaritans, they opposed rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem at, at that time. And so after it was destroyed by the Assyrian invaders and captors, and so instead they constructed their own place of worship at Mount Gerizim. So you got these opposing places of worship too. And they were viewed by the Jews as ceremonially unclean. They were social outcasts. They were not worthy to, to be... They were religious heretics. And so they were a triple threat. <laughs> and so Jesus is, is doing this equivalent of driving at night on the center line, down unfamiliar roads. But Jesus was never really in the dark, ever. And so, as he was entering a village, ten men with leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance, and they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
And leprosy, we've heard about, those of us who have been involved and growing up in church have heard about leprosy from the time we were a child. This biblical, terrible thing. Still around today in, in certain forms or fashions. But we're not exactly sure what biblical le- leprosy was in every instance that it's mentioned. While it may have been described as what we know today as Hansen's disease, if you go Google it, look it up in, in some book, you'll find Hansen's disease and, and leprosy. What, it may not be that. This word probably included other skin diseases, just kind of all grouped together in this common word that, that they would use for, for leprosy. You know, like here in the South, you say, hey, you, you want a Coke? Yeah, what do, you, what do you want? I'll take a Sprite. It's like, what? So, you know, you use one term to, to kind of cover all kinds of stuff. But once a person caught it, Once somebody was infected with it, they were banned from society. They were cast out from society. And in its worst possible condition, it was incurable. No hope for it. But the loathing that was directed at lepers was not merely because of this disease that they they carried. Leprosy made somebody ritually unclean. They were unholy. To touch a leper defiled a Jew. Defiled them so much that they would be an outcast. Almost as much as if they touched a dead person, a dead body. And so in a sense, leprosy was a sign of God's disfavor. That's how they viewed it. And so even to the rabbis, the the teachers of the day, to to cure a leper was the equivalent of raising somebody from the dead. It, It was near impossible, certainly unheard of. And so in all of biblical history, we can find two people cured of leprosy. You have Miriam, you know, she was flicking with uh, uh, leprosy because she had kind of spoken out against Moses. And so she was, God struck her with leprosy. And she had to be cast out of, as punishment, cast out of the camp there when she opposed his leadership. And you had Naaman. You know, the story of Naaman who, you know, was a heathen from Damascus. And so as when he obeyed Elijah's instructions, you go wash seven times in, in the Jordan. And he did that and he was cleansed. And so... But healing a leper in Israel hadn't been done for 700 years. <laughs> Nobody heard about this. And so Jesus is just outside of this village and He meets a group of lepers. Not uncommon, because there were camps. There were lepers in the land. It wasn't uncommon for lepers to group together. They migrated together. Where else could they go? And so they can't have much social contact with clean members of society, so they form their own little sub-society. Kind of the underground, if you will. The unclean, the untouchables. And so just outside this village, it would be common to have fine lepers because they, they, couldn't, they couldn't grow their own food. They had no means to, to, to purchase food. They couldn't go into the town and do anything. So they were outside, just on the outskirts, hoping that as people came and went, they would be able to glean something from them. They would get something from them. They depended on other people. And so Scripture says they stood at a distance. And they raise their voices, as they must do, to let the people know to warn them. You can't go close, so they shouted out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Impact. (laughs) We just crossed the center line here. And so when you're driving and and someone comes into your path or something comes into your path, what do you instinctively do? We swerve away, right? Something gets that, you know, a squirrel runs out in front of us. We, you know, we hit the brakes and we try to avoid the squirrel. Not Jesus. He pedal to the metal and right into him, man. He's flying right in there. So we got this impact. Jesus turns directly into it. And they say, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. These four words that seem to roll off whatever's left of their tongue. And so they don't ask for healing. 
They ask for pity. Give us pity. Have pity on us. Whatever Jesus might be able to give them. Pity might be food. It might be clothing. It might be shelter. Whatever He might be carrying with Him. Whatever you can offer us. And Luke indicates that these outcasts know Jesus' reputation for compassion. Jesus, Master. Master doesn't mean they recognize Him as Lord. They recognize Him as some sort of authority. They've heard about this man, Jesus. They even dress Him as Master, which has this undertone of a benefactor, a caretaker. Jesus, caretaker. You got anything for us? Can you spare a crumb? And Luke doesn't indicate that they really expected healing from Jesus, which is why they simply ask for mercy. Can I just have mercy? Can you spare a quarter? Might you have any food? You got a clean pair of socks that you might be able to give me? You know, one of the many ways that Dad annoys Mom happens at mealtimes. <laughs> so Mom will, will sit there and Mom will, Dad will get up and Mom will say, would you bring me a piece of cake? So he'll go to the kitchen and he'll return with literally the smallest amount that you could still even possibly consider part of the cake. You know, it's ha-ha, here's your piece of cake here, you know. You said you wanted a little piece. Jesus, what, what can you spare? These lepers didn't really know what, they were, what to ask for. They didn't know what they were asking. They didn't really know who they were asking it of. Jesus, you got anything for us? Can you spare a little piece of anything to help us? Just get by until the next person comes. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when He saw them, He said, Go and show yourself to the priests. Strange response, right? According to the Jewish historian Josephus, lepers were treated as if they were dead people. They were treated as if they were dead. The law of Moses prescribed that the person be cut off from the rest of the community, cast away from society, including their family. And so the leper had to wear torn clothing, had to, to, to have his head uncovered his, and cover his lips when he spoke and to, to yell out as soon as he could see somebody in the distance to warn them. I'm a leper. Don't come any closer. You might get infected. It's hard for us to wrap our brain around this in 21st century America. I mean, AIDS is a thing of the past. That was decades ago, right? The Nile virus came and went. Ebola is out of the headlines. And it may be hard for us in North Little Rock to really understand, wrap our brains around what was going on here, what these people were going through and what this scenario looked like. They weren't quarantined. They weren't put in a separate room and, and you were provided gowns and masks outside so that when you went in to visit them, you could protect yourself. That's not what's going on here. They were the original walking dead. That's how they were treated. Jesus says, you go show yourself to the priests. You go prove that you're clean. You go verify what I've just done for you. And as they were walking along, they were cleansed. When we speak of God's sovereign nature, it's this recognition on our part that whatever He wills, whatever God's will is, is right. That is true and it's just and it's right and that He alone determines the appropriate course of action. No one else, including mankind, doesn't determine what's appropriate. Only God does. And this in, We can't influence how God speaks or, or how He acts. Nothing we can say or do. See, mercy is more than just sympathetic feelings. 
It's more than just feeling it. Sympathy and action. And when mercy is extended, we don't receive what we deserve. Mercy is not about getting what you deserve. See, they shouldn't have got themselves infected. Probably were somewhere they shouldn't have been with some people they shouldn't have been with. That's why that happened to them. Hey, just saying. Possibly. Probably. Had to contract it somehow. But mercy doesn't look backwards. See, mercy has no rearview mirror. God's mercies are new when? Every morning. Every morning. It's not the good old days with God. It's every day is a good day and greater days to come. That's the mercy of God. Is it the mercy of His people? See, we don't deserve mercy. That even contradicts the core meaning of the word mercy. Mercy is something you give and something you receive. It's nothing you can demand. And it's certainly nothing you must withhold. Mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Why? How are they blessed? Because they're going to be shown mercy. The merciful will be shown mercy. And at first glance, Jesus seems to, to suggest that this process of mercy begins with us. Blessed are the merciful, you do to God and then He'll do to you. That's not at all what He's saying here. If God was merciful and gracious, first of all, that's who God is and the people of God. We are who we are because we've received God's mercy. And so mercy consists of treating people better than they deserve from us. That's what mercy is all about. Even better than they treat us. And mercy is at the heart of what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead bless others. Why? Because I want to? No. Because you were called to inherit a blessing. You bless others because you have been blessed. Impact, man. That's life-threatening impact because it threatens the way we want to do life. It threatens the way we live. It threatens our direction of travel. It's not insult for insult. You step on my toe, I will knock your head off. That's, that's, ooh, that's us. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. God's mercy. When we are merciful to others, we benefit from God's mercy. And there came a point as they began to obey Jesus that this healing took place. When Jesus spoke those words, they heard those words. Scripture doesn't say that immediately they were healed. When were they healed? When they obeyed. When they obeyed. When they did what He said to do. Go. You go, I'll show. Remember that from our study of Elijah. He said, you go. And they did. Had they disbelieved? What if they disbelieved and just laughed at Jesus? Laughed at His command? Well, that's illogical. Why am I going to go to the priest? I'm covered with leprosy. All He's going to do is send me back out here. Had they thought that, they wouldn't have been healed. But they believed Him. They had faith. And as a result of their faith, their faith made them whole. Their faith made them heal. And faith is exhibited in what we actually do. It's seen in our actions. And because these lepers believed, they began to obey and go to the village where the priests live. And James says, faith by itself. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action. Faith without works is what? It's dead. It's useless. It's worthless. 
in one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell with his face to the ground at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. Now he was a Samaritan. Whoa! <laughs> Swerve! And Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed. Hey, one, two, three, four. I remember, you, you guys remember seeing, where's everybody else? Where's everybody, did not, we're not, did, did not work for all of you? We're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to turn back and give praise to God except this foreigner? He's asking a question. Hey, uh, everybody watching, looking out their windows, watching this. Is this foreigner the only one worthy of coming back? Impact. Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. See, regardless of the segregation that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans, regardless of the segregation that exists between clean and unclean, and regardless of the destructive and dead-end effects of a disease like leprosy, which knows no boundaries, Leprosy knows no prejudice. Leprosy knows no restrictions. Just like sin. Sin has no boundaries. It has no restrictions. Sin is not prejudice. See, what was hard for Luke's original audience to hear or read in this interaction is, see, Jesus and this le- these lepers, that's not the hard part. The hard part for them was not reading and hearing about Jesus coming in contact with these who had leprosy or the potential fatal contact Jesus has with these infected people. The real barrier that Luke needed them and us to see is that among this unnamed town, full of these unnamed lepers, could possibly be Samaritans. Samaritans could be in this town. Jesus healed Samaritans. How could God have mercy on a Samaritan? Who's your Samaritan? See, it's apparent from Jesus telling everyone that this thank you notes from the foreigner that these other nine that didn't come back, they were Jews. Is the only one that came back is the Samaritan? See, they were Jews. They were Christians. They were Church of Christ folk. They were folk you expected to, for anybody to realize the impact of what Jesus had done for their lives. You figured it would be them. They would be the ones who would return. Where are they? Where are they at now? See, all ten lepers realized they were healed. They all, you can't not realize you are healed from leprosy. They all looked down and saw they're healed, but only one makes his way back, turns around, and goes back to Jesus, praising God for his mercy in healing him. And notice that this leper's thankful response he throws himself at Jesus' feet, a sign of utter humility. And he touches Jesus. No doubt he touches Jesus. And Jesus doesn't recoil from him, he didn't jump back as if he had cooties. Jesus receives His thanks graciously. This leper gives thanks to Jesus and he glorifies God. But this thankful leper, who's no longer a leper, but no doubt still has a label of this leper, he's going to have to overcome. See, I used to be a... 
Remember the, remember the guy who was the leper? Not, not the guy that lives next door. You remember the, remember the girl that used to... Remember the person who did... See, he's not a leper anymore. Sometimes it's hard to overcome those labels. He may not know that Jesus is the Messiah. He may not really understand right now that, that Jesus is the Son of God, but certainly he credits Jesus for doing what no one else in the world has offered to do or could even possibly do, that he is the instrument for God's healing. And then he said to the man, Jesus said to the man, you get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And the faith that healed these lepers was activated by acting on Jesus' words, by doing what Jesus said to do. And here Jesus uses, there's a different word for healing here. We, we miss it in our English. You've got to open up a, a little Bible dictionary and dig a little bit to find this. There's a little fullness to what Jesus says. See, there's more at stake here than just a mere physical healing. There's more at stake here than just curing him of this, this repulsive, flesh-eating disease. See, the King James renders a good wording. Your faith has made you whole. It's made you whole. The only way you can be made whole is if you weren't, made, if you weren't whole, if you were broken, if you were shattered, if you were in pieces. You were distorted, disfigured, but now your faith has made you whole. Ten lepers were healed, but only one was made whole. Only one noticed. Only one saw. Only one let happen what sink in. And it made all the difference in the world to that one. Because he sees with spiritual eyes what has happened. He recognizes, that, he recognizes Jesus. He recognizes His reign. He recognizes His power. And because he sees what happened, this leper has something to, which to be thankful for. He praises God with this loud voice because he recognized who has truly resurrected him from, from social and imminent physical death. From this dreaded disease, this man returns to Jesus and praises Him. Impact, man. Impact. Because he sees what has happened. And this leper changes directions. He turns around and he goes back. Veers from his course towards the priest, and he heads back to Jesus, the, the great high priest. All ten received mercy, but only one allowed the impact of that mercy to change their life, to change the direction to their life, leading them back to Jesus. And this was an indictment to the Jews. This was an indictment to the church folk that this even happened here. The ones who rejected Jesus. The ones who, who didn't believe Jesus. The one who shunned Jesus. See, they, they received mercy in that God brought salvation through them. Through the Jews, salvation came. Jesus was born of the Jews. They were, they were blessed by God to be a blessing to others, even though the majority continued to reject God. They were still blessed to be a blessing. And this is an indictment of anyone Anyone today who receives God's mercy yet hoards it. Hoards it for themselves. Which you really can't do. Because why? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Which, reverse that, if you're not merciful, you're not going to receive mercy. So we really can't hoard it. We fool ourselves. But what does this look like? What does mercy look like? Mercy gives you the seat on the bus. Mercy gets up and gives you its seat as if acting as if they were meant to get up anyway. Oh, I would, no, no, go ahead and take it. I had to stand. I stretched my legs. You, 
You go ahead and take it. I didn't need I wasn't using this. I was I was actually was gonna I wasn't gonna do anything with it. You take it and use it. Act like they're doing you a favor. Mercy doesn't let out a sigh. You know the one. wordless disapproval of the person in the checkout line in front of you who, whose card didn't swipe and they didn't bring cash or the one who didn't realize there's no sticker, no price tag on the item and now they've got to, you've got to stand in line and wait for them to go get a price check. and <sighs> They shouldn't have tried to get out there at that intersection anyway. It's too dangerous. Now it just <sighs> Mercy doesn't do that. Mercy offers quiet sympathy. And doesn't convey a body language that this holdup is ruining their day. Go ahead. I'll wait right here. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not mercy. Sometimes mercy chooses not to send the food back because they can see that the waitress is having a terrible day. I'm just going to deal with it because for the sake of this person. That's mercy. That's mercy. When mercy's been wrong, the offended one doesn't make it difficult for the offender to apologize or to ask for forgiveness. Mercy is ready and willing and, and leading the person who has offended them so that they can apologize and make things right. That's what mercy does. In fact, mercy doesn't wait for others' actions. But mercy forgives so quickly that the person needing forgiveness is even freer to ask for it. at work or at home or in the classroom or among brothers and sisters in the church. Mercy creates an atmosphere in which a person feels safe enough to admit their mistakes or to ask questions. That's who mercy is. And if mercy must correct someone, if mercy is called to correct someone, it pains them to do it. It's hard to do it. And they do it so gently and not vindictive. And mercy makes a habit of giving others the benefit of the doubt. That's what mercy does. Mercy's not in the habit of sending deadly glares at people who are annoying them. Mercy gives charitably, knowing that eventually someone's going to take advantage of that generosity, but they give anyway. That's who mercy is. Mercy welcomes you, fully aware that that action, welcoming you, is going to disrupt their own plans. That's who mercy is. And mercy relinquishes control when it allows someone else to learn and to grow from it. That's mercy. Mercy makes it its business to help others succeed. Mercy clears the way for others so that they can walk on an even path. Makes straight the paths of others. No matter how uncertain their steps or how injured their souls, mercy clears the path for them so they can learn and can grow and can continue. You know what else mercy does? Mercy says, I will leave this beautiful home that you provided me. And Father, I will leave You and I will go and I will live as they live, Father. I will put their ignorance, their insults, their hatred, I will put all of that aside and I will live as their servant. That's what mercy says. That's what mercy does. And I will accept the punishment they deserve. I will live for them and I will die for them. That's mercy. I will speak for them, Father, so that You will forgive them. That's mercy. Impact. Impact. The only question is now, is there a change of direction? Jesus Christ has impacted you in some way. How has your life changed because of that? 
Have you recognized the change? Have you allowed that to change you? That the Spirit of God that He gave you when you were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that it is now your guiding light leading you to God's truth. That in our obedience to His Word, we are becoming more like Christ each day. Are you merciful? Who's your Samaritan? You know who Jesus' Samaritan is? The Jews. They were Samaritans to Jesus. Samaritans were Samaritans. You know what? You're a Samaritan to Jesus. And so am I. But He still came to show us what it looks like to be merciful. To put aside whatever differences and whatever dangers and whatever disruption to His life in heaven was. He came to this earth to be inconvenienced for 30 some odd years to find His way to the cross to be killed for you and for me. That's mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Who's your Samaritan? Who is it this week that you need to look at differently? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you're your own Samaritan. Maybe you can't hardly stand to look in the mirror because of choices you've made or some image that Satan has allowed you to paint of yourself and that you've agreed to accept when all the while Jesus is calling you to repent of that sin that is burdening you, that's distorting you, that's creating that leprosy within you. It's killing your soul. Repent of that. Confess that sin and come to Him for forgiveness. Maybe as you look around, there's someone here today. Maybe there's someone tomorrow when you go back to work or to school or about your business that's been your Samaritan, that's been your leper, that you've turned your back on. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus treat them? That's who He calls us to be. And this morning, while we're assembled together, if we can pray for you as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, if we can rejoice with your decision to put on Christ in baptism, to be cleansed of your sins, to receive the gift of God's Spirit and the promise of eternal life with Him this morning, we want to rejoice with you. There's a choice that we all have to make each day, each moment, with each person. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And God offers His mercy today. Will you receive it as we stand and sing?